Warning. You're about to hear unfiltered insights about regenerative agriculture and our sovereign right to natural food. This is not just a podcast, but a patriotic movement against the tide of food ignorance and corporate food giants shaping our modern food system. It's time to feed the people. We are a go. Yo, what's up, Brooke? Oh man, how good is that intro? Ah, love it. <laughs> so good. Uh, sounds like um, uh, somebody's got an acting career in the Western space. <laughs> I'm to digging honestly, it. I was just, I was just picturing it too. I was oh. out in the sticks. You know, yep. first just a golden hour. Ooh, that's the best hour. Yeah. Sunrise and sunset, man. Can't beat it when you're out in the ranch, huh? You cannot. That's, you know what's uh, so funny? I, AJ, first of all, podcasts, I never saw myself doing one, you know? Yeah. And then years ago, me and Gina were just shooting the shit, talking <laughs> about like, you know, making up podcast names, like making up. If we were to do a podcast, what would we call it? Yada, yada, yada. Well, then I yeah. got reached out to about, they wanted me to do a podcast because they wanted more female voices, et cetera. So we did it. Said, we'll do it for one year. And if we suck and if people hate us, then we won't do it anymore. <laughs> yeah. So I never saw myself actually having a podcast. I definitely did not see myself starting another podcast. Yet here we are because, you know, there's no other option. No we other option. We have to do it. Yeah. We have to do it. Well, we are learning as we're putting this message out there about our food supply chain that the amount of education, re-education necessary for the general public is massive. It's it's almost like starting over, right? Because we've become so comfortable with having everything right at our fingertips that, you know, what I've noticed in people reaching out on social media is just the complete lack of knowing how to even source their own food without going to the grocery store. Oh, 100%. I mean, I've well, in the past, I've laughed. Now I don't laugh. It's not funny to me. <laughs> but <laughs> no. just the funny conversation, you know, the concept of with kids, like the younger generations, uh-huh. even the whole thing where if I put my hand up to my ear and I have my my pinky and my thumb out, right? Like a, like yep. a phone, like a telephone. Yep. And it's like, oh, if I'm going to tell you from across the room, like, oh, I'm going to call you. I'll yeah. do that with my hand and I'll bring it up to my ear. Like, oh, I'm going to call you. And you know, oh, that's a, you know, she's going to call me. Yep. Kids don't know what that means. <laughs> <laughs> Right? <laughs> what, really, do you just they, move your thumbs frantically like you're texting and they're like, okay. Yeah. Or you're, or like if you're going to pretend like you're holding a phone to your ear, it's like, yeah, I don't know. Like you're holding a block up by your ear, almost like a block yeah. phone. But like just the, <laughs> the, 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 the differences, right. Of little signs like that of what something means to me versus like what it means to my nieces and nephews or, you know, the whole idea where you've seen people show someone from a younger generation like an old TV, right? Like the oh, big yep. ones, like the big box TV. And they're like, why is it so big? Like they've yeah. only ever grown up with flat screens that are like mm-hmm. super, super thin. And um, <laughs> when they, you try to ask them like, where, you know, what is a chicken nugget? You know, yeah. even just like such a disconnect 
And obviously yep. it's a, that would, that would be an, a problem of like the parents not teaching. Right. But really it's just because right. you're a product, you're a product of your environment. You only know what you know. And we've talked about that a lot, just in terms of just this mountain we're climbing uh, among with many other people in the goal to decentralize food supply. Um, but there's just so many things that me myself never knew. And it's not right. because I didn't want to know, but it's more so that I didn't know that I needed, I didn't know that I didn't have all the information right. because back to this idea that we across the board, I mean, I obviously can't speak for everybody, but I feel pretty strongly about saying for many years, you know, a lot of people, you know, we looked to what was being told to us from the federal government or what, what was being talked about or on the news as like that, like, that's how I'm going to check, right? Like, what are yeah, they saying right. there? Okay. That's, that's, that's what the truth is. Cause that's what they're saying. And now right. we've got this whole epidemic of, I don't remember what the, what it was actually called, but Obama putting, writing something back in that makes it legal to pro use propaganda on us citizens. Yeah. It happened back out in like, what, like 2008 mm -hmm. or something like that. Uh, Definitely don't quote me on that. I'm not the news where you can just think that I'm 100% accurate, but yeah. <laughs> there is a lot of truth in there. I just don't have specifics for you, for the listeners, but yeah, it's crazy. And now, you know, you and I, since we first started talking about the whole, the whole issue and mm -hmm. some different ways we were looking at attacking it or where we can actually offer help and, and solve some problems has got me just in the catnip <laughs> for <laughs> rolling around in it. Yep. Yes. For like, just, just learning so much stuff that I've had to also train myself and practice and, and think about, okay, calm down. Like, don't let this make you too riled up. And you know, it's because when mm. you, for me, it's like when you have feel like you have no control, like everything's out of control. That is a mm -hmm. very uncomfortable feeling. And I can only imagine the amount of people listening or out just out in the in the world right now that are feeling that. And right. This the amount of stress that comes with that is I mean, it's very unhealthy. I mean, it's That's right. it's just talking about pure health. Like we are all living in a very high stress, um, you know, <laughs> truthless reality. Yep. yep. <laughs> and it feels very unchartered and it, that can be very scary. And so, you know, for you and I focusing on, okay, there's a lot of bullshit and there's a lot yep. of stuff that is going, you know, out of control. And we obviously cannot solve all these problems. We can't. So what can we, you know, control what you can control. And so what we are doing is we are picking one area that we are deeply rooted in agriculture and we are, we are going to see what we can do. Yeah. Well, it's funny because I think a lot about the phrase, a hill to die on. And I'm like, holy yep. shit, there are so many different hills you can choose in our day and age right now. <laughs> it's like, yeah, just, I'm just going to pick this one because I'm not anxious to die. But if there was a hill to die on, my family's food sovereignty is it. And I'll just start yes. there. You know, I, I, uh, I completely agree with you. That's the biggest challenge. Like for you and I, we spend so much time and uh, study in all of the different nuances of our food supply chain. So just to kind of add to what you said, like don't quote us on any of this, but if you hear something that's of interest or you want to learn more, go research it yourself. If I could walk around and just post links to everything I'm reading all the time, first of all, nobody would read them anyway. But what, what we're interested in sharing is kind of a top level few for uh, just people to reconnect with their food and learn how to buy 
food locally or the importance of buying locally or even how to grow your own food as much as you're capable of with uh, or wherever you live. And so when when we talk about some of these topics, I mean, I've been working on this information for three years to including to include having ended up running a USDA meat plant for the last year. If you would have asked me that two years ago, hell no. That was never, I, I had no experience, no business being in that. But because of inquiring into what's wrong with the system and the software that you and I are working on to make this all simpler, I just, one foot in front of the other, landed me overseeing a USDA plant in Cody, Wyoming. So for me to be able to go back and tell people, oh, if you go to this website and look for this particular article, this is where I'm refer- referencing that's just not going to be possible. Now we will source as much new information and share it with people as possible. But if you hear anything, I'm just going to encourage you to go do your own research and just find out that what we're telling you is the case. Uh, What we're going to discuss on this podcast is information that we've been working on uncovering or sharing so people can get reconnected with that. And I think it's for two, for me, it's two reasons. Uh, and some of this, I think, probably resonates with you as well. Number one, my family are fifth generation ranchers, and uh, I've spent my entire life growing up listening to some of the challenges that they're facing uh, through federal regulations and and uh, special interest groups that are trying to kick them off the land that they're managing or take away water rights or whatever for for things that just don't make any sense. And so I've spent my entire life growing up hearing these challenges and yet these are the people responsible for our food only up though until you get to a certain level of the conversation where you start realizing that there are large corporations at play that they really don't care if the food comes from america because they're sourcing it from other places like brazil or like south africa you know places that they can just import as much as they want at a very low price and then send it throughout the country be damned the American rancher. Well, and it, you know, even just to think about like the concept of exporting, importing, right. Mm -hmm. I feel like a lot of people could have what their understanding of that. I'm speaking for myself too, prior to knowing everything that I do know, um, you could look at it and think like, Oh, well it's, you know, it's, it's helping each other. It's working together, but you such a surface level of understanding of what all of that, all that means and really how that affects us. Mm-hmm. It, it affects our soil. It affects the health and it also affects just the, I mean, the market, right? right. <laughs> our right. cost of living. Yeah. These are all, these are all key players in, in how comfortable we can be just right. living life and taking care of family and paying for bill, paying bills and paying for everything. I think most people would probably err on the side of overlooking the rea- like the harsh realities because either they're not trained to maybe consider those things or realize how important that they are. You know, why is it so important that we we stop exporting so much stuff and importing food? Well, well, yeah. that's because we, we, you know, our economy could be a whole lot better. People could be self-sufficient. You have right. more power. You have more control of your health and your own body versus everyone having to rely so much on people on a 
you know, a, a group of individuals or the federal federal government to what help us survive, help us thrive when they live completely outside of what our reality is. The people's reality is very different yes. than the few than the yeah. few well, that's that are making all, that are making all of the rules or regulations or making things extremely difficult and making these decisions that affect everybody, but they don't affect them. And that no. has bothered me for a very long time. Well, they're also making decisions based off things they know nothing about. You know, when they regulate the way that livestock is managed and they've never stepped foot on a ranch or, yep. uh, you know, they've, they've just never even been there. And then they're, they're, then they're going to tell you how to do that. That makes no sense whatsoever. And yet, because the mo- majority of the populations in our country are in cities, they they just don't know any better. They don't even know how to question it. And so I also think there's just an element that, like you said earlier, and we were discussing, there are so many different things going on that for the average person to just put their intention into their food supply is one more thing they have to try to worry about or figure out, right? And so sometimes it's easier to um, to just not – to just hope that it's going to be there. Uh, let's, uh, let's play that clip from Jason Jones to – kind of let the audience know right from the rancher what they're dealing with. Okay. Everything down here is in disarray. Everything is, it's horrible. It's horrible to have to live your life scared to death, wondering if this is the day that I'm going to have to pull my pistol and actually use it. I'm tired of picking up the trash. I'm tired of fixing fences. I'm tired of living every day of my life wondering what's next. Of all of it that's occurring between the drug trafficking, the damage in your property, your friends and your, your, your neighbors leaving the area, can't not dealing with it anymore, what bothers you the most? That my government doesn't give a damn. You've been abandoned. Been abandoned. And to me, that's treason. That's pure, unadulterated treason. So we've got these ranchers that not only are already struggling with the natural circumstances of the way the market's set up for them, you've got ranchers now on the southern border who have to also deal with the invasion that's happening on a daily basis. They were abandoned as it already was, and now these guys down south are doing everything they can just to hang on to what they've got and protect the land that they're managing, and then frankly, their families, their own lives in some situations. Well, it's extremely devastating to have a realization. I mean, there's, it's one thing to, to know it, right. To, to know that you've, the government doesn't care about you, Mm -hmm. but it's a whole nother thing to be experiencing it and to be suffering and losing things you've spent your entire life. And in his case, his, his, his parents' life there, you know, the land, the, the work that they do, and it means nothing where it used to mean everything. And now Mm -hmm. you've got more more care for the people that are illegally coming here than the people that are here trying to, (laughs) trying to survive. Yeah. You know, it's like, I can, I can understand and I can empathize with people that are pro open borders. Mm -hmm. Um, the reason I can, I can understand is because I, I'm an, I'm an empath. This is a new, new thing I've learned. (laughs) but I care very deeply for people. I care very deeply for people. And that is a realization I've had 
fairly recently is now understanding that that can actually, it's a double-edged sword Mm -hmm. because I am the type of person that I care so deeply for other people. Like I will, I will sacrifice myself, my like things that are, I need, you know, to survive for, uh, to help anybody else in need. Now that's a wonderful, I think, way to live. You know, I, people can depend on me. I, I want everyone to be healthy. I will do what I can to help all those that are around me. I mean, we're doing what we can right now to help the people in this country because no one else is doing it. Now, the yep. issue is not paying attention to the fact that, you know, we need to put our oxygen mask on first and then help your neighbor. Yeah, exactly. You know, well, and we, mm-hmm. oh, no, when you talk just, about our oxygen mask, we, mm-hmm. we, we're really focusing on, you know, human beings need three things, food, shelter, safety as a priority. And, you know, obviously I, I lump in water as part of the food category, but food being the most crucial component of, of everything, right? Cause you have to have the energy to live, to keep doing whatever it is you're up to. And our system here in the United States has been under attack for a very long time. And now because of that major conglomerates and corporations have been able to start uh, taking over. And what you and I are committed to doing is to raise awareness on that and create a new system, uh, a parallel system that people can choose from. So that's kind of the focus of what this whole movement is about is the that education component that we're talking about. So people really can get connected to their farmers and ranchers, because if you know who your farmer and rancher is, then you're always going to have food. You know, one of the major corporations So our meat supply chain is controlled by four primary corporations. It's National Beef, JBS, Tyson Foods, and Cargill. JBS being the largest of them. That's a it's a Brazilian-based company who is wrought with corruption. Uh, both in their country, in our country, it's all one and the same. Here's a little bit of information about what's going on with JBS. JBS is a family empire built on corruption. This is certainly one of the biggest corruption schemes ever revealed in the world. Hundreds of politicians receiving dirty money. I think it will come as a surprise to a lot of your viewers that a Brazilian company linked to so many scandals has been allowed to come into Australia and expand in the in the way that it has. From crimes against the environment to insider trading and putting workers at risk. I really feel if I had have acted in the way that they have acted, I think I would be in jail. Around the world, governments are holding JBS and its billionaire owners to account. Fraud, bribery, other violations of federal laws. JBS. We should have really started to clamp down on JBS, which has become a monster, if you will, years ago. But here in Australia, JBS has been given the green light to grow. You have to ask, what is going on? Why is that company so supported by our politicians? So as you could tell, obviously, that's uh, from ABC News Australia. They are dealing with the same thing. JBS is a global dominator in the meat market. 
Uh, they've done very good at, at, at setting that up, but it's very corrupt. And so now we're dealing with, you know, the, the meat market itself is about a $65 billion industry, the beef industry. And those four companies control 85% of it. That means when a rancher takes their beef to the auction, those prices are being manipulated based off the market and the market's being manipulated by the four companies that control 85% of it. And we're going to uncover a lot of that in this podcast and talk about details. I mean, we can, we'll have an entire episode just, or more a series probably on JBS alone. So it's, uh, it's pretty incredible the impact that they have on our food supply chain all, all the way down to the cow calf operation, like from start to finish. The thing is, is, you know, when you really, like, even just the concept of the fact that there's four main companies, right? Four mm -hmm. corporations that own the, own the whole market. Mm -hmm. Why? Well, we know why. We know why they want to be at the top. Well, because it's, it's, it's money grabbing. Yeah. I mean, we, so many things happen in, in our world that's all about money grabbing. I mean, we can go, you know, like the toilet paper shortage. Oh, oh, there's no more diapers and formula, yet they found copious amounts of formula and diapers down in the, by the borders in a, in a warehouse. Right. I mean, it's <laughs> it, it, the, the concept of fear mongering. I mean, it works. <laughs> oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> control just to control the minds of people. Yep. But in terms of food, you know, it's, it's, I understand the importance of as people moved more out of rural areas and into cities you obviously have less people doing their own production. You have less people farming, ranching, and you still have people that stayed out in the rural areas and that's what they do. And that's, they were still supplying food to all the neighbors and to their, their city or their town. We yeah. need to get back to that. I mean, that is, that is the way that is the, that is the well, yellow brick road to, it's healthier, the only way. to the healthy, to healthy food, to healthy yep healthy people to healthy soils and uh to food sovereignty like you know what happened what did we notice in 2020 when the store shelves went empty it wasn't because there wasn't beef to purchase it was because these big companies have destroyed the supply chain to have it be 100% reliant on them on them and when they falter whether it's uh black swan events like covid or uh, let's uh, let's play this clip real quick about what happened in 2021. Uh, it's by today. It was a clip done by USA Today about the ransom that happened. New this morning, $11 million. That's how much ransom one of the country's biggest meat processors paid to get control back from hackers. The money in Bitcoin transferred by JBS Systems after a cyber attack last week shut down operations at some of its plants for days. The company's CEO telling the Wall Street Journal, it was very painful to pay the criminals, but we did the right thing for our customers. Adding, outside advisors negotiated the amount with the attackers and that JBS kept federal law enforcement officials updated throughout the process. In a statement, the company suggesting it chose to pay to keep its files safe, saying a preliminary investigation confirmed no company, customer or employee data was compromised. 
U.S. officials believe Russian criminal gangs were behind that attack and another one that forced the Colonial Pipeline to shut down for more than a week in May, which triggered gas shortages on the East Coast. The FBI recovered most of the ransom paid in that instance by Colonial. The company's CEO on Capitol Hill now defending his choice to transfer $4.3 million to the attackers. It was the hardest decision I've made in my 39 years in the energy industry. But the government recommends against paying ransom. We need to send this strong message that paying of ransomware only exacerbates and accelerates this problem. You are encouraging the bad actors when that happens. Some experts predict ransomware crime will cost $6 trillion this year as the two high-profile attacks in a matter of weeks affecting critical U.S. infrastructure raise new questions and new concerns about how vulnerable companies really are. Well, companies need to proactively protect themselves in advance of these attacks. If they do suffer an attack, sometimes their hands are tied, and the only way for them to get out of the situation is by paying the ransom. But that's why experts say it is so important for companies to get secure on the front end to prevent this kind of thing in the first place. We do expect President Biden to raise the issue of cyber attacks with President Putin at their summit in Geneva next week, as the White House says the U.S. is not taking any options off the table in terms of how the country might respond to these kinds of attacks. Craig. Our senior Washington correspondent, Hallie Jackson, there for us. Hallie, thank you. So when you centralize your food supply chain and you're counting on only a few people to have it held down, you open yourself up to a ton of different possibilities, whether it's cyber attacks or, uh, you know, when they let's say your fuel supply gets shut down. The thing that's moving all of our food around is our truckers. Our, our semi-haulers is what's getting our meat and our food around to everybody. But like you were saying, if you know who your farmer or your rancher is, if you shook their hand and they're within driving distance of you, or worst case scenario, you got to meet them halfway on a hike, they're going to be there to provide for you when these other companies, you can't count on them. They're way too nuanced to be able to get from point A to point B. Whereas if you know your rancher, he's going to tell you, my cattle are finished at this time. I'll get them processed and you'll have your meat. So well, that's even more, even more than that, right? So if, if we're talking like the big four, big corporation, well, we know how many people are involved in that? A lot. And the A people lot. at the top that are really, you know, making decisions about money, they're not thinking about us. No. You know, there might be a situation where it's like, uh, it would cost them more to solve this problem versus just skip over it, eat the cost of X, Y, Z, you know, <laughs> yeah they don't, they don't pay taxes but if they did they could make it a write-off <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah exactly <laughs> they don't pay taxes they don't pay taxes they know, you know how what i mean it's like dance. it's like <laughs> i just always kind of come back to this the fact that someone at the top of a big corporation they're so far removed from me from you from our livelihood from us you know, feeding, I don't, I mean, I don't feed my family. I don't have kids, but I have a lot of nieces and nephews and my mm -hmm. parents, mm -hmm. but they don't care. Now right. it's very different when you talk to a producer. Oh yeah. Because they're on the ground floor. They're right, right. here. They're your neighbor. We are neighbors. They, yeah. they, you know, they, they care yeah. about the product they produce. They care about family and community. You know, they're, right. There is no sacrifice this because it's a bigger win for me in the long run. It's always take care of the consumer, take care of your customer, take care of your community so we can thrive and, and 
live on and live long. Yeah. You know, there the answer is never in a federal government. Never. Or in a big giant corporation, which is the, that right just that conversation. That is why you and I and our team with what we've got going moving forward, we don't want any of that. We don't want that money. We don't want those people. We don't want people that care more about themselves and they care more about, you know, doing the business doing well and being profitable and putting more money in their pocket than about the people that are involved in it. And in our case, it's the, it's the producers, it's the ranchers, it's the farmers, Mm -hmm. it's the people. Yep. Well, and you know, the, the, it, the breakdown is continuing. 2020 didn't stop. And and being as involved in the industry as uh, I've been daily for the last three years, what I've noticed is nothing has been done to change the way we were doing it. I mean, check out this clip from DC News. This was just barely four months ago. Well, new this afternoon, Walmart responding to questions about shocking images from one of their stores right here in DC. Take a look. This tweet was sent over the weekend, and it's blowing up on social media, showing several aisles with zero groceries to be found. DC News Now's Joseph Fomo went to the store to find out what's going on. Yeah, so after seeing that tweet go so viral, we decided to check it out for ourselves this morning. Take a look. This is the Walmart on 99H Street, northwest here in Washington, D.C. We went inside of the store to see firsthand the lack of food. So this is the part of the store where things like eggs, juice, dairy, and yogurt are sold. But take a look. None of it to be found. This doesn't even compare to the beginning days of the pandemic. There's just literally nothing in these refrigerators. And one of the interesting things is that they say that it's due to a refrigerator outage, but when you touch this, it's pretty cold. It was everything from fruits and vegetables to frozen meal packs, either very little options or nothing at all. Now, we spoke to several frequent shoppers at this Walmart. None of them wanted to go on cam, but many of them did tell us this isn't a problem that's anything new for this Walmart location. It's been going on since the week of Christmas. Well, we also got some new information today from a Walmart spokesperson tells us that all of those empty shelves that you see should be fully restocked because the refrigerators are indeed fixed. Everything should be fully restocked by the end of the day. Reporting here in Northwest Washington, D.C., I'm Joseph Olmo, D.C. News Now. So they might have a freezer outage or that might be something they're just saying to, you know, stave off the uh, the attention of what's going on. But the big cities are the ones who are the most vulnerable and that's our largest populations. I mean, if you're not producing or if you don't have producers in your area capable of feeding that population and and here's the truth, we don't. We have broken our food supply chain so severely, we do need to import a certain number of our food. But that's not sustainable long term. This is the fastest time in human history that a food system has tanked the way ours has. We've only been doing what we've been doing in less than a hundred years since World War II. Since World War II, that's when they started changing the food system. And we're going to get into a lot of that with some special interviews down the road, but it's been manipulated for that long that it's going to take time to restore the, the, the system that can sustain everybody. The good news is you and I both know 
people can, we can do that. There's enough agricultural land in our country that we can feed ourselves if we start making that shift. And if people start looking to buy locally, I know a lot of producers that could increase their herd size if they had customers that wanted it. Oh, 100% because you don't want to get left. I mean, for all of them, if people are wondering, well, why don't they produce more? Well, they need to know that they can, they can sell it, right? It costs so much money to feed and water a steer for the amount of time you need to that producers don't, especially in the, in the volatile market, depending on where they are selling, right? There's just, there's, there's a multitude of things that um, everyone has to think about and has to work on and consider in this business. But hoping that with the conversation that we are obviously starting and that the same conversation, there are many other people in agriculture that are, you know, fighting for the same, same thing, which is fantastic. We need more the merrier. We need more people speaking up about it and raising awareness so we can solve some problems and mm-hmm. really turn some stuff around because the initial response that is very popular in the people that live outside <laughs> of, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the way of living that we do um, is just to almost like cover it up, try something different, move on. Yeah. As, as if, as if these, problems can are not reversible but they are reversible but they will continue to become not reversible or irreversible if we keep going down the same path that we're going down and the only thing we can do everyone listening the only thing we can do is vote with our dollars stop Mm -hmm. spending your money at the places that aren't that, that don't care about you and don't care about you know food sovereignty and don't care about every each individual person all we are to them is an, a way for them to make money. Yeah. That's yep. it. Well, and I think that when we talk about them, when we talk about corporations, in many cases, that there's not some evil Mr. Burns rubbing his grubby fingers together, you know, trying to take advantage. What it is, is it's almost autonomous with shareholders, right? The only, mm-hmm. the only consideration in their decision-making is a return on investment for their shareholders. Everything else be damned. Yep. That's what's broken, right? I, I am an absolute capitalist. I mean, you and I are putting a program together that we believe I'm a capitalist, but I might be, here, here's my view on capitalism. I want to measure the success of my company on the number of people served, not the number of dollars made. I think if you flip that around and you focus on the number of people served first, the byproduct is revenue. But I also don't need to make billions of dollars. Do you know what I mean? And like that's that's ridiculous. It's excess. We should have more people competing in the same marketplace. We wouldn't have this problem if instead of the big four, we had the big 100. Yep. Because there would be more competition. Producers would have more opportunities to sell their product at a, at a fair value because of the competition. So that's, you know... That's what's going on here. Um, I well, want I feel like I feel like we're at a point just real quick. So you know, publicly yeah. traded companies, it's a mu- they must maximize their profits by law. And mm-hmm. I feel like we're in a situation where if you think about big VCs or these big companies that kind of shell companies that own everything, right? They got these all these people that they have to have a return of, a return of investment for. What are the chances? Do you think of a, of a new company 
just jumping to that status. I yeah. I feel like where it's at its it's at its quota. <laughs> it's at its max. Yeah, right. I don't right. I don't see there being opportunity for people among us to be able to mm-hmm. share that position to where the goal to maximize profit helps more than the few that are up there. Right. I feel like it, we're, we're stuck in a situation where we're in a pyramid scheme. <laughs> we, we're living in a pyramid scheme and there's no way to climb to the top. You guys, we have to, we got to break out and find a different way. It's the only, it's the only way. Mm-hmm. Yep. And you know, let's, uh, that's what you and I are working on. So we are building a software as a service that will do what Uber did to the taxi industry or Airbnb did to the short-term rental, uh, rental or hotel industry which is connecting people directly with their local food or the food producers so that they can shop locally. That's something that we've definitely learned over the last year is, okay, here's the issue. We've got a centralized food supply chain that's not stable. And there are a lot of people that are aware of that, but they don't know where to get started. Just like you said earlier, they just didn't grow up in the same environment that you and I did. So they don't even know where to start. Right? Mm -hmm. So they, it's like, where do we begin? Well, we also know because we grew up in this space, our family is notoriously private. They just, they want to be on the land. They like working with the livestock. They want to manage their, uh, their ecosystem that they're responsible for respectively. And then just kind of live their life. So they don't do a, necessarily an excellent job at reaching out and communicating because why it takes technology to do that. Well, and, and (laughs) in our, in our world today, I want, I want to recluse, you know, (laughs) like it makes sense. Every time somebody's like, I don't have Facebook or Instagram, like, Oh, you're so lucky. (laughs) I know. I'm like, Oh my gosh. How is that? Is it nice? Are you calm? Do you, you, can you go to sleep at night? Just fine. You just relax. You're just so relaxed. <laughs> exactly. I don't blame them at all. And and so, and then, but then, okay, so that's a problem, right? Because if we're going to do this and, and help make this parallel economy, this new way of sourcing our food, there's got to be a way for them to meet the locals in their area. And then on the other side of that, local uh, 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 consumers don't even know the questions to ask. I mean, we... They did some research during COVID and they, uh, or right after COVID with uh, kids in the city and asked them, like you were saying earlier about where chicken nuggets came from. They had no idea. And some people even were wondering why they couldn't just make more meat in the factory, which unfortunately they're now trying (laughs) because they thought that meat literally just came from cellophane wrapped packages in the grocery store that somebody was just making it, cultivating this meat in a Petri dish. Mm Mm-hmm. And so the consumer side, there's this massive re-education that needs to be done, or you create a software that can bridge the gap between the reclusiveness or the, the private lives of the producers and the lack of understanding for the consumers and give them a very simple and elegant way to source their meat as close to home as possible. If you start there, then I believe what will happen is Farmer Bob ends up getting to know, you know, Susie from the city because mm-hmm. now she has questions and then we bridge this gap and all of a sudden Farmer Bob and now has a 
because here's my experience. The, the privateness or the reclusiveness, don't mistake that for not being personable. You and I both <laughs> you'll ever meet. Their stories are incredible, right? But there's no common ground. If we create the common ground, which is this digital farmer's market that makes it easy to facilitate those conversations and those communi- those connections, I believe it'll blossom and kind of grow under its own power because we've helped bridge that gap. Well, I, th- I think that, you know, a lot, I, I feel like a big reason why the attitude or response that you can get from, you know, some of them old time, old timers mm-hmm. is a direct result from how they've been treated for a very oh, long time, sure. yeah. you know? So really it's a matter of like, you know, what we're doing, what a lot of people are doing, but like what we're, we're working on doing and trying to do in this problem we're trying to solve, being able to communicate that to them old timers, you know, like my dad, like mm-hmm. our family, some of our yep. family members. Yep. I mean, that's promising. That's right. optimistic. That is, we, this has been done in a way that is not long lasting. And we are, we are here to collectively make a change. So it is, it puts more money in your pocket. It shows you how grateful we are for all of the people out there that are just, you know, in the field getting yep. shit done, dealing with issues, with weather, with equipment, with all kinds of things, but still supplying, you know, supplying their neighbors, their community, their local grocer, whatever it is with high quality product. You know, I mm-hmm. think that if we just wanted to talk about just the, the money aspect, what, what our platform is going to do is it's really going to give stability to income for producers, right. taking away some, you know, a, a little bit of that validity that can happen just in, you know, depending on where they are selling, being right. able to open up an entire marketplace direct to consumer right, for, for producers, where I would feel pretty confident in saying that, you know, a big majority of people, unless they're, selling to friends or just locally in their area, but have never wanted to maybe tackle the monster that, which is marketing and e-commerce and and the computer. I mean, it is confusing. And not only that, it's changing all the time, right? They're constantly changing it. Um, And that is what we're for. Yeah. And being able to to take that off their plate and give them a whole new area where they can really help their business grow and you know, and from that give stability and, and food, you know, food security to all their neighbors and people all over our country, that is a huge win. And I think that even the honoriest of them will right. love, you know, love that aspect. Absolutely. The quality that, like you said a couple of times, the quality of the product as well, the meat, the the nutrient value of the meat, the lack of uh, antibiotics and added hormones and uh, certain vaccines that, uh, you know, there is talk about putting the mRNA vaccine into uh, livestock. And there's a major concern for that. I'm, oh, I yeah. have a concern for that. There's no long-term <laughs> evidence. I mean, the short-term evidence for mRNA is not looking good. We don't need to see the long-term, but I just, I just can't comprehend why, you know, I can't, mm-hmm. I can't, I mean, I still can't comprehend how there's people out there still driving alone in their car 
with a mask, mask on, on. <laughs> when there's been yeah. how many studies that have come out, they've already come out and talked about how it was complete bullshit, how it oh. was planned. They've come out, talked about how it's not even a real vaccine. It's gene modification. Yep. So, you know, how are people still so blind to it? And my only response I can come up with myself is like, well, they're still only watching the same channels. They're mm-hmm. still only listening to the same people. And they're stuck in a, in a situation where everyone is so divided through yep. fear and through a bunch of <laughs> other absolute bullshit yep. that they just stick to what they know. It's like, we need yep. just more people. You just need to consider, just consider the possibility yep. of something that you don't already believe to be true because, you know, people out there, I've been the same way. So I'm not pointing fingers, but when you believe in something so much, because you know it, you know, it's true. And you have this emotional response to it. So you're like, this Mm -hmm. is the truth. And you've read the stuff and you've listened to the things. Well, when you make that a hill that you're going to die on, Mm -hmm. like we don't forget that we're all just learning. You only know what you know until you learn something else and and evolve your mind, evolve your perception of things. Yeah. You know, this no, <laughs> we need that more yeah. now than ever. Yeah. And we need the like logical thinking and people being realistic and, you the know, only- criti- cr- critical thinking mm-hmm. that it feels like that's, that's old. Like they don't do that anymore. They don't do critical thinking. Oh, don't ask que- you don't, we don't ask questions anymore. You ask no. questions. It's like, Oh, well, you're automatically just deemed, uh, well, a, <laughs> and a conspiracy theorist. That, that's a weird, or, that's a term or, or the, uh, you know, the, what do they call it? Like if you're MAGA. Oh, you're like, you're, you're basically on a terrorist watch list. Oh yeah. An extremist. It's like if, if you're, if you if you ask too many questions, you're immediately turned into an extremist and yep. you, and people should be scared of you. It's like, what in the hell? Yep, exactly. The only people or group that what we're talking about affects are the monopolies that already exist. Mm-hmm. That's it. They're the only ones. Here's some, uh, let's play this clip. Here in South Dakota, there are about five cows for every person. That's a lot of beef. And cattle ranchers say the problem isn't getting the meat to your plate. It's the fact that the meat packers are taking most of the profits. There's four beef packers that control 85% of all the slaughter in the United States. These four beef packers are recording profits of anywhere from $1,200 to as high as $2,000 a head during the pandemic, where the rancher is at a break even to even a loss. Les Shaw is a fourth generation cattle rancher in White House, South Dakota. We don't do this to get rich. We, we do this because we love it. We're proud of what my great-grandfather, my grandfather, and my dad handed down to us. And there's nothing that would make me happier to be able to pass this on to my to my kids, my two girls. Shaw admits, though, it's getting much harder to make a living raising beef cattle because of a monopoly created by four major meat packers, two in the U.S. and two in Brazil. The Brazilians have a hold in this market. Our country let foreign investment into this country. The four major meat packers are Tyson Foods, Cargill, and two Brazilian-owned corporations, National Beef Packing and JBS. In 1977, the Big Four, as they're commonly called, owned just 25% of the market. Today, that's exploded to 85% of all meat packing in America. Crazy. 80, <clears throat> the growth of that and what it's done to 
our food supply chain, as we've said over and over again in this in this first podcast here, is just wild. And it's, uh, you know, like you heard that rancher talking about, they just want to maintain the heritage of what they're doing. They're not trying to make a ton of money. They're not trying to be rich. They're looking at it as how do we provide enough product, enough beef to feed our neighbors, to sustain this ranch, and then just to keep doing it. Well, and they, they, get, they can, yeah, no, they can unfairly influence the price. I mean, you oh, deal yeah. with price fixing and oh. yet just another danger to, you know, of centralizing the food supply. I was speaking on a panel the other day in, uh, for the Wyoming Bankers Association, they brought this special guest in his name, Corbett Wall. He's been in the he's been in the uh, auction space for cattle his entire adult career since college, and he presented. I can't. I'm going to have him on. He's going to be an amazing person to talk to that will really break this down. It's funny. He asked the question, "What is your biggest? Uh, what is the biggest challenge that you're facing in your industry?" And I said, "Well, according to a lot of my followers." JBS has a sniper behind every bush around my property. <laughs> and he's, he laughed and he goes, they've been after me for years. <laughs> so <laughs> he, he showed this graph of the gap that has grown between what producers, the, the profit or the revenue producers made in comparison to what the meat packers made. And in 2019, there was a major fire. That major fire was in a massive meat packing plant. Mm-hmm. And Corbett had a lot of different information to share about the nuances behind that, like definitely some theories that you could see where there was some, some funny business going on. But when that plant shut down, it was doing 6,000 head of cattle a day. That's so it was a massive meat packer. Now, all of a sudden there's no demand for 6,000 head a day because one of those are gone. Mm -hmm. So what does that do to the market? It tanks it right now because they controlled it and tanked it. Now they get to dictate what they're going to pay. And it was just this, he, he kind of illustrated this back and forth and back and forth. And you can see from 2019 up to current date, the dollar spread between the producers and the packers took a massive leap up to 2019. They were pretty much neck and neck. Their profit was, it was always higher. Like they had better margins, but it was very, very similar. The packers versus the producers at auction all the way up until 2019 and it's never reversed since. And it's just getting that gap is getting wider. So the meat packers are making more, the producers are making less. If they can't control it in the U S instead, they'll go outside of the U S and buy like right now, the USDA is trying to start the import of beef from Paraguay. Paraguay was already, uh, Shout out at one point for foot and mouth disease that they brought in with their cattle, which if they bring it in, it'll devastate our own supply chain, which is already at 1960s levels as it is. Yeah, but it'll put more money in the, you know, in the exactly. medical, the medical industry. Which, you know, <laughs> I, I wouldn't be surprised if that's what they're trying to think. Like they're going to start already creating some other gene oh, therapy geez. for hand, foot and mouth disease, you know, because it's on, we're yeah. going to have it in our beef. Yep. Hey, let's let's go ahead and play clip three and get a little more information. Cool. Cattle ranchers price, used to receive 62 cents for every consumer dollar spent on beef. Today, that's dropped to less than 37 cents on the dollar, while the big four have tripled profits in the past two years alone. 
The Ranchers Cattlemen Action Legal Fund is suing the four companies over accusations of manipulating prices. We've alleged that they have conspired to artificially depress prices paid to U.S. cattle producers while simultaneously inflating the price of beef that consumers pay. Bill Bullard, head of the legal fund, says the main problem is that ranchers aren't told what price they'll receive for their cattle until after it's delivered to the packers. This itself is anti-competitive and it has helped to purge competition from throughout the entire supply chain. So the solution has to be to restore competitive forces to the marketplace. And you do that by forcing the packers to begin competing uh, competitively for cattle. During a congressional hearing in April, CEOs of the four packers denied any price fixing and blamed the rising beef prices on simple supply and demand. South Dakota Governor Christy Nome, a rancher herself, isn't buying it. She says food security is national security. The country that feeds itself controls its own future. But if we start importing food from another country, then they control us. And we are getting dangerously close to that. And we're seeing supply chain issues. We're seeing other countries heavily investing in our food processing systems that is dangerous for the people that live in the United States of America. Yep. Crazy. These uh, that was Bill Bullard from RCAF. RCAF is a really cool nonprofit focused on raising awareness for all this. The idea of well, it should go without saying. You know, we should we should be seeing what we can do with the resources that we have here for ourselves, right? For as a country, how do we take care of ourselves well before we would start thinking like, okay, now let's export some stuff or like, what, what do we mm -hmm. not have? What can we not grow here? What can we not get here? That is crucial. That would be very important for life, for, you know, the community, for our country. And then you look at importing or exporting and then, and then you deal with like, all right, how can we help the economy here by is there something we can do with exporting or importing? But the fact that it feels like that is now the forefront, like that's the go-to well before ever seeing like, what do we already have here at home? It's like a kid that wants to, you know, super hungry and, and you're in the car and you want to stop somewhere to get something. What does mom say? We have food at home, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> we're going to yeah. go home. We're, <laughs> we're going to go home and eat our food at home because we got to think about, I mean, really cost of living, you know, yep. parents that are, grocery shopping and and putting food on the table for their kids it's like well how do we be smart with our money how do we save all right well let's let's eat what we have at home and then and then we'll go out and get something whether it's because we don't have anything to eat at home or mm -hmm. because we deserve to celebrate or it's someone's birthday but you're always thinking about if we're trying to be cost effective it's looking at your resources you have right there around you what yeah. do we have what can we what can we make better you know, if we do, if we change these practices, now we can grow more year round, right? We can yep. follow a regenerate, regenerative pattern protocol that's going to maintain how something turn into a very healthy cycle, grow cycle, water cycle. And now it becomes easier. And now we start working with the land and the land works with us. You know, it's, we should be focusing on what do we already have here? If we have pr production, if we have producers, we have beef, we have you know, ran ranchers and farmers that are, pr are producing high quality products that should be for the people here first yep. and foremost. Mm -hmm. And then 
if we have excess or we can offer aid or help to other people that don't have, you know, maybe the climate to grow certain things year round, then, then, I mean, it just makes the most sense for me that that's the way you would do it. Yep. You know, not the other way around, not into a situation now where like you were talking about briefly, um, importing beef from Paraguay mm-hmm. or a, yeah, importing from there. Yep. You know, versus like, why though? Why, why yeah. would we do that? If, 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 if it's been done, we get, we know that we've dealt with the hand, hand foot mouth disease. Why would we do that? <laughs> you can control the prices when it's you that's benefiting, right? Let's play uh, clip number four. So anytime there's a supply chain disruption, retail prices go up, the packers make record profit, and the producer uh, suffers the consequences. Nome recently appointed Lieutenant Governor Larry Roden, another lifelong rancher, as agriculture ambassador to focus more on helping the smaller meat packers in South Dakota. 99 of our small processing plants receive grant money. Uh, I tour them every every chance I get. In addition to that, we applied for and became part of the CIS, which is Cooperative Interstate Shipment, which allows our local uh, processors to sell across state lines, just like they were federally, federally inspected. Roden says the government needs to investigate the practices of those four meatpacking operations and break up the monopoly. Because we have a law in the books at the federal level since 1947, uh, dealing, it was called the Packers and Stockyards Act, which has been ignored largely. And we were doing the investigation. That's all been put on hold. Bullard says if competition isn't restored soon, it will have dire consequences for cattle ranchers. It's extremely serious. If we don't take some immediate corrective actions, this industry will no longer look like what it does today. We've already lost 75% of their marketing outlets, which uh, we call feedlots in the industry, the the entity that feeds the animal for the last two or three months uh, before it's actually harvested. And so cattle producers are, are finding it difficult to market their cattle, even at the time when beef demand and beef exports are extremely high. As ranchers themselves, Governor Nome and Lieutenant Governor Roden say they bring a crucial understanding to this issue. And that's comforting to Shaw and others like him. It's a unique point right here that the Lieutenant Governor, like I told you earlier, I, I grew up with him. He's somewhat of a neighbor. Their door is always open. Despite the challenges, Shaw says he remains optimistic about the future, mainly because of his Christian faith. There, there's there's good times ahead. This is just a, a cycle and it's up to us. I pray for strong men and strong women to step forward and not be silent, take action, uh, do what's right and make changes. So there is a future for this business and our, and our kids and the next generation. So this heritage doesn't disappear. Wendy Griffith, CBN News, White Owl, South Dakota. It used to be that a producer like Bill was talking about would take their fat cattle, they call them, or feeder cattle to a feedlot and then to the uh, the feed yard for auction. And what would happen is you would have all these buyers come in and they would go into this stockyard and they would go from pen to pen and bid on the livestock that was in that single pen. And that pen would actually be owned by one of those feedlots, right? So you have a feedlot, they got the cow's fat, they took it to the stockyard and they would have a rented space essentially, almost like a farmer's market setup. And those buyers, those beef buyers would go from 
uh, they could only get in at a certain time and they, they would open the gates at nine o'clock. So nobody had any advantage over anybody else. Nine o'clock, they'd open the gates and they'd all rush in through the stockyards and they'd go look at each pen and they would start bidding on the livestock that was in that pen. Well, what's changed over time is the big, the guys in control, they don't want to bid. They don't want to pick competitive bidding process because then they might get, their bid might get pushed up. So that's what's changed. Now the big, the big operations have actually bought all of the stockyards essentially. So there is no more bidding. Those cows go right in and they're already theirs. And they got paid for the, the, the ranchers got paid that 14 cents on the dollar, 14 to 30 cents on the dollar. And that was it. They get sent off and then they get graded and they might get some money back based off the grading. But what they did intentionally was reduce competition in the bidding process so that they could control it. It's, it's uh it's where we've come to i mean <laughs> normally my next comment would might be something like this don't hate the player hate the game <laughs> <laughs> oh, but in, this, in, in this case you know we we got to hate the player and the game because yeah. it's not something that can ever ever do good for anyone besides the player and in this case yep. we got four players and they own the whole game and everyone else is just you know we're a pawn or we are in the way or in the way yep incredible brooke well this is going to be a fun journey we've got a lot to talk about and a lot of incredible guests that will really help shed the light on all this so uh thanks everybody for joining us on the first one yeah thank you so much and don't worry we will be bringing guests on that are way better at explaining some of these things than we are so see you next time should be yeah should be fun